Growing up as a kid, redecorating was never a simple process uh, at the Whitaker family. Uh, from when I could remember, uh, my parents, they just wouldn't redecorate for Christmas. My parents would redecorate with the, uh, I, I feel like with the idea of wanting to get the attention of the satellites, okay? I mean, people would drive from all around. It would be a tradition for, for people to come to my parents' house to look at their light display. And if, if, if the Light Fight Christmas show was on back in the 90s, I think my parents would have had a really good run at winning the $50,000, okay? Now, let me just give you a couple pictures here of, of now, the pictures don't do it justice. This is me taking it on my phone from a picture in the 90s. But this, so this is like the front house that I could find. And then, and then this is the back of the house, okay? Look at the back of the house here. It's, you know, just like, I mean, just in, in, insane. And so people would come from all around to come and see this light display. But what's really interesting about this light display is there never was this, okay, this is our last year. There never was, okay, this is the last year we're going to do this light display. And then we're going to pack it all up and move on as they move to a different home. And uh, the reason was, is because last minute, my grandfather passed away suddenly, and they lived down in Florida. And my grandmother had Parkinson's disease and was bedridden for many, many years. And so my mom traveled down to Florida to take care of her, her mom, uh, to then with the goal of moving her here to Michigan. And so my dad would have to go back and forth to help speed up the process. And it was during the Christmas season. And I'll never forget the news of my dad saying, hey, we're not decorating this year. And I was like, what? We're not decorating this year? I mean, how, how are we not going to decorate this year? I mean, I don't understand, like, my, my life without having a huge Christmas display just doesn't make sense. That would be a little too dark for me, Dad. we got to do this. we got to do this. He's like, it's just not possible for us to do it this year. And I'll never forget, he was flying out, and I'm around 12 years old at this time, and he was flying out to go to Florida, and I told him, uh, after we dropped him off to the airport, I said, Dad, I'm going to do the the Christmas display for you. Don't worry, out of the kindness of my heart, I'm going to do this. And he's like, all right, sure, son, sure, son. No, I got this, I got this. And so I was determined. And so I remember, you know, trying to show my dad kindness. I know my dad, he wanted to do it, but he knew he couldn't do it. So I was going to do it, and I was going to finish strong, faithful to the end. And so I just, I'll never forget that next day going out of the attic by myself, trying to pull all this stuff down from the attic. I mean, these massive items. And, and then probably about the third day in as I'm starting to put lights up on the shrubs. I and mean, again, this is a massive <laughs> undertaking for a 12-year-old. Uh, it was raining. It was raining outside. And as it was raining, I, um, I'll never forget, I was putting the, these lights on the shrubs. And then all of a sudden that feeling that I'll never forget that first time I was ever electrocuted and had that feeling. Yeah, if you've ever experienced that, you know what I'm talking about. It's like you want to let go of the lights, but you can't let go of the lights. And in that moment, I began to retreat from my faithful in, in endeavor of redecorating. I said, I can't do this anymore. I know I'm trying out the kindness of my heart to do this for my dad. I want to show him, I want to show him, but there's just no way I could do this. And so I retreated from my ability to redecorate for Christmas. Until this day, Whenever I'm putting up lights and there's one bulb that's kind of broken or loose and I get a little zap, I always go back to that moment where I couldn't follow through on the redecorating. Now, I tell you that story because today, as we continue in our redecorate, we're going to focus on the question of what does it look like? We're going to focus on the question of how do we exercise or how do we redecorate our lives with the fruit, with the attitude of kindness 
and faithfulness. To ask the question, you know, where might I need to redecorate? Where might I need to, to rearrange these types of virtues in my life when it comes to kindness and when it comes to faithfulness? How do we redecorate? And maybe you're asking that question, like, what do you mean by redecorate? Do you mean by lights? Do you mean by bulbs or, or, or ornaments? That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about redecorating with fruit, but not just with any kind of fruit. We're talking about the fruit of the spirit that Paul talks about us. We're going to go here in Galatians in chapter 5. It says this, but the fruit of the spirit, what is it? The fruit of the spirit, it's love and it's joy and it's peace and it's patience and it's kindness, goodness and faithfulness, gentleness and and self-control. Against such things there is no law and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with passions and desires. If we live by the spirit, it says, what does it say? Let us also keep in step with the spirit. Every single day we have the ability to either live by the works of the flesh or being led by the fruit of the Spirit. And every single one of us has the ability to tap into the power of the fruit of the Spirit. We all have access to the fruit of the Spirit, but we only have access to it until we come to the point where we humble ourselves and receive Jesus as our Savior. To come to the point where we realize that without Jesus, we're going to have to pay the penalty of our sin. And we can't pay it on our own. And so because of Jesus' death, because of his resurrection, we can be saved from the penalty of sin. And the scriptures are so clear that all who confess with their mouth and believe in their heart that he is Lord, you will be saved. And the moment that you do that, the moment that the Holy Spirit, the power, this ultimate gift comes and takes residence inside your life. And if you haven't done that, man, I hope before you end this video that that would shift for you and that you would receive the power of the Holy Spirit inside your life. And so, and then allow it to to literally transform you from the inside out. And so there's nine different fruit of the Spirit. There's nine different attitudes, the fruit of the Spirit that comes out of us because of the Spirit living inside of us. And what we know is that these aren't just actions. This has to start with our attitudes because actions without an attitude can just lead to hypocrisy. Let me say that again. Actions without an attitude change can just lead to hypocrisy. And so, in light of the Christmas season, in light of the Christmas story, we've been looking at the fruit of the Spirit, and we've been looking at different characters throughout the Christmas story, and we've been highlighting the different fruit of the Spirit that has been demonstrated or decorated in their lives. And so, we started off uh, talking about the fruit of goodness. We started talking about the fruit of goodness and how Joseph, even in the midst of his wife saying, hey, Joseph, I'm pregnant by an angel, uh, he still ended up demonstrating the fruit of goodness uh, in his life towards his wife. And then speaking of his wife, then we talked about the fruit of gentleness and how Mary demonstrated the fruit of gentleness in her life by being shocked by the news that she would give birth to the Son of God and then laying down what she wanted, laying down her rights to trust in the will of the Father. And then we started to talk about the the fruit of patience. And we saw the fruit of patience in the life of Simeon, uh, who was longing and waiting to see the coming Messiah. And that he was guaranteed before he would die that he would see it. And so we saw him exercise the fruit of patience. And then we saw uh, the the other fruit of self-control. We saw the fruit of self-control being displayed by Anna, who who displayed this in her long years of being a widow and through praying and with fasting. And so today, 
As I've already stated, we're going to be looking at two other fruits. We're going to be looking at the fruit of faithfulness and we're going to be looking at the fruit of kindness. And we're going to look at two different characters at the time of Jesus who had really, really great influence and really, really great power and privilege. And we're going to see how the fruit of kindness was not so much displayed and we're going to see how the fruit of faithfulness was displayed in a really powerful way. But before we do, I just want to pray for you and pray for me. Father, thank you for just getting everyone who's listening, everyone who's watching uh, to this moment. And so God, I ask that you would give clarity and that you would help people uh, just not miss what you'd have for them today through your word. So get me out of the way and uh, help us to hang on to what you would have for us. We love you and we pray this in the power of your son's name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. So, hey, I want you to grab your Bible wherever you're at or grab it on your phone to the book of Matthew. That's the first book of the New Testament, so pretty easy to find. Matthew chapter 2, wherever you're listening, repeat after me. God's word is alive and living and a light into my path. Say it one more time. God's word is alive and living and a light into my path. That's what I'm talking about. So Matthew chapter 2, we'll dive into his word. Here's where it kicks off. It says, now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea. Now, I just want to set the context here. This is not just when most likely scholars believe. This isn't just right when Jesus was born. Most scholars are in agreement that Jesus was most likely around the age of one and two during this passage. Uh, so when we think about the cute pictures of the manger scene with the wise men coming around the manger scene to little baby Jesus, most likely uh, it was not at that time because we will see later on in the story that it wasn't a uh, manger where the wise men went to they went to a house and because like we talked last week about the purification ceremony that had to happen and because of the distance that the wise men had to come from people tend to believe scholars tend to believe that Jesus around this time was between the ages of one and two and so uh, the story continues and so in the Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king behold it says that wise men from the east came to Jerusalem Wise men, where we get the word in the original Greek language was called magos, or where we get magi, or where we get our English word magic or magician. These were wise men that came from the east, and, and, and many believe that most likely it was in the area of Parthia or Persia, because this is where priests were being trained, were apprentices to be interpreters of special signs. They were, they were specialists. They were especially specialists in astronomy and astrology. And so um, now I will say, when it comes to the wise men, if you read and study up on these guys, there is so much speculation and it is so clouded with legends and myth to where people have tried to identify their specific names, that they were the sons of Noah, or, or even the fact that, that you know, people say that there's three wise men. Remember, hence the song, we three kings. Right? But we don't really know if there was three. We know for sure there was two, but most likely there were probably more than just three. But because of the Frankincens, uh, and the three different gifts, right, in myrrh and gold, because of those gifts, it's been associated that there were just three wise men. And so um, when it comes to, like I said, there's so much legend and myth. But what we know is that there isn't a legend, that there isn't a myth, and that the wise men showed and demonstrated the spirit of faithfulness. Because them coming from the east, then coming to Jerusalem to find out information 
about this newborn king named Jesus. And they began to ask this question. Here's the question. They began to ask this question. Where is he? Who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star. We saw this sign. We saw this glow in the sky that we can't explain when it rose. And so here we are. We have come to worship him. They had come from all the way far east. And again, it's speculation exactly where they were. But if it was in the area of Persia, as far as Persia, by foot or by camel, it would have taken them four to six months to get there. And as they began to study signs and hear rumors of a coming Messiah, because in that time period, history shows us that there was much debate and speculation that the coming of a king would come in that time period, in that area of the earth. There was much curiosity that was piquing their interest. And so here they are, they pack their stuff, they grab special gifts, foreigners with limited information, and yet they still traveled all that way. I mean, come on, think about traveling all that way on foot four to six months. Curiosity, wondering what it was. Something inside of them was pushing them to keep going and to keep discovering us. Which should pause us and remind us of this truth that you don't have to understand everything to believe and to move towards something. You don't have to understand everything to believe and to move towards something. Even though we sometimes can have limited knowledge, as the wise men demonstrated, they kept pursuing. They wanted to figure it out. And maybe that's where some of you are right now. I mean, heck, you're watching this video because you're curious. There was a sign that something made you stop and maybe watch this. Or someone has said something to you recently that has made you kind of lean in a little bit. And that's why you're deciding to, to watch online and you're curious. And I just want to encourage you. Let the wise men encourage you. That little thing inside of you is not there by accident. Keep moving towards God. Keep getting the questions answered because the more that you move towards him, the more that he's faithful to move towards back you. And for those of you that have a relationship with Jesus, maybe sometimes there's these like theological things or maybe there's things in here that you don't like when you read them or it bothers you when you read these things. It's like, and I gotta be real, there's things in here that bother me. But to not give up and to not settle on what you feel, but to settle and not to settle, but to strive and to fight to, to, to find out what God feels about the specific thing that might bother you in the text. Keep moving. It's so, so worth it as the wise men had modeled to us. And so then it continues. It says this. So when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled. And all Jerusalem with him about the coming of, of, of this newborn king. And, and so what did he do? He assembled all the chief priests and scribes of the people. He inquired of them, where was the Christ to be born? And they told him, they said this, in Bethlehem of Judea, for it is written by the prophet, which was the prophet Micah, which there are hundreds of prophecies that talk about the coming Messiah and who he was and what he would do. It's unbelievable. It says, and you, O Bethlehem, and the land of Judah are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. It continues, for, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained, them fr and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. He says, I want you to go. And I want you to go search diligently for this newborn king. 
Herod felt like, for some reason, maybe it's because of who they were, these wise men. Maybe it's because they traveled so far with limited information. But he was willing to trust them with the task at hand. He was willing to rely on them to get the job done. Most likely, probably because they traveled so far with limited information. But what did he do? He saw their determination to finish what they started. So when we think about the fruit of faithfulness, when we think about the fruit of faithfulness, one of the things that, you know, it's really easy to look at the fruit of faithfulness and just think faithfulness in God. To just think about having faithfulness in God, being faithful towards God. But when we think about the word faithfulness and the fruit of the Spirit, let's put it up here. Faithfulness in the original Greek language is this word. It's kind of an interesting word. Pistis. Kind of an interesting one, like pistis, okay? Pistis, okay? Faithfulness is this word called pistis in Greek, which is the idea of being reliable, being dependable, fidelity, source of truth, to be trustworthy. So when you think about faithfulness, and when you think about your life, or when people think about you, here's a question. Do they think this? Are you reliable? Are you dependable? Are you trustworthy when it comes to your life? When it comes to work or projects in your life, can people trust you when you say you're going to do something, you're going to do it? When, 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 are, are you going to show up? Are you going to pay it back? Are you always going to be late? Or are you always just a hot mess? Is the only reason maybe why you still have a job is because employers are so desperate to get people to work that that's why you still have a job? What do people think of you when they think about being faithfulness, when they think about being reliable, when they think about being dependable. And come on, let's, let's just hold here for one moment. When you think about where you work and you think about people that aren't dependable and aren't reliable, what's the first thought that comes to your mind about them? Okay, you know, you got that. Now think about the people in your work that are dependable, that are reliable. That you can tell their work ethic is they work hard and, they, and, and they're trying their best. They're not perfect, but they're trying their best. What do you think about them? What are the thoughts that are going through your mind about those types of people? Those types of people, you're willing to, they've earned a right to, to speak their opinion, to, to speak truth into your life. And so what does this remind us? This reminds us of how our work ethic is so so important to our testimony to show the fruit of faithfulness in our lives to demonstrate that to those that are around us. I mean, I think about my own life. Um, I naturally do not have the gift of administration. And uh, just ask Selena Begley, our administrative director. Um, it, it's not by nature what I'm gifted at. Now, just because I'm not gifted at it doesn't mean that I don't you know, grow in that area. And so throughout my life, I've had to develop different systems to help me not drop balls. But when we drop balls, I think sometimes we don't maybe realize, it's easy for us not to realize how much that does affect our testimony and affects our testimony of Christ to those around us. I mean, I, there are people, there are people that don't go to Miles City Church anymore because of how I have dropped balls in the past. And, you know, for some of those people that have left, um, you know, they probably could have given me a little more of a break. They're probably a little too hard on it. I mean, no one can do everything or be everywhere for everyone, okay? But a couple of them, you know, I should have been there. I should have called. And I didn't. And because of that, it was unfixable. 
for them in their terms, where they couldn't look beyond that. And I get it, and I understand that. I'm not trying to say, say that to make you feel bad. I'm just trying to say, like, hey, when we drop the ball, we have to remember how it affects people and our testimony for Christ in our lives. The importance of being faithful and being dependable. I'm not talking about perfection. I'm just talking about, again, striving to be dependable. Colossians 3.23, what does it say? It says this, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord rather than for people. So in everything that we do, we're, like, we're not doing it for the other people. We're doing it as we do our work unto the Lord. Or Luke 16.10, if you are faithful in the little things, you will be faithful in large ones. But if you are dishonest in little things, you won't be honest with greater responsibilities. So, so important to be faithful with the little. And to much is given, much is required. Much is required. So, where might you, check yourself a little bit here, where might you be dropping the ball? With work or maybe with your family or with friends? Where might you be dropping the ball and where might it be affecting your testimony where you might need a little boost when it comes to the fruit of faithfulness, of being dependable and reliable in your life? Let's keep going. It says, so after listening to the king, so the wise men had listened to the king, it says that they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. And so when they saw the star, it says that they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, no one else remember, not the manger, the house, so later in, in Jesus' life, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and it says that they fell down and they worshipped him. Just imagine that moment. It continues. It says, then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream, check this out, and being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country. And so even though Herod had power, even though they were supposed to go back to Herod, they didn't listen to Herod. They listened to the spirit of the dream that was speaking to them. And what does this show us? It says that it shows us and reminds us of this truth that they were faithful not to an earthly king, but faithful to an eternal king. That they were faithful not to an earthly king, but their allegiance and faithfulness was to an eternal king. Even with their lives literally being on the line, they stayed faithful towards an eternal king, this newborn king. And you know, yes, the scripture tells us that we are to honor authority and honor kings. But when it gets to the point where we might have to compromise to do things that are evil instead of good, or, or to go to the ways of sin or go to the ways of the world, we are to stay faithful to God's ways of what is pure and what is honorable and what is his way. And it makes just, just kind of step back and ask ourselves the question, in your life, are there ways of the evilness? Are, are you in any way staying faithful to evil or having allegiance to evil instead of being you're having your allegiance and faithfulness towards God? Are there any areas in your life where you've been swayed to be faithful to the ways of the world and evilness instead of to the ways of God. Be encouraged, Jesus follower, to stay faithful to the end, to hear those beautiful, beautiful words someday when we get to heaven and our King, King Jesus says to us, well done, my good and faithful servant. Well done, 
my good and faithful servant. So Herod starts getting rumor of what's going on. So check this out. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, what does it say? He became furious and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem in all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he has ascertained from the wise men. I mean, this is a horrific, brutal, disgusting event that we see on the pages of history that took place from King Herod because of his pride and because of the threat that he felt. Herod was so furious that he got tricked, even though he was the one who was doing the tricking at first. He, he pretended it in the sense that he was showing kindness towards the wise men, but he had an ulterior motive. He had his own plot. He had his own plan because he heard of the rumors of the coming of Messiah, and it was a threat to him. It was a threat to his power. He was, got so, so um, obsessed with power that even so much that history records that he literally killed sons and wives and other family members because he thought that they were plotting to take his throne and to steal his power. And so he was so power hungry. And so here we have a definition of a man, Herod, who definitely did not demonstrate the fruit of kindness. Herod was definitely not demonstrating the fruit of kindness as we've just read how he was working the wise men and what he'd just done to all of these children in the region. It's unbelievable. So when we think about kindness, it's not Herod. What's kindness? We see in the fruit of the Spirit, kindness is the idea of being friendly and being generous and warm-hearted and being considerate of others. And I was thinking about it this week when I think about kindness, when I think about the fruit of kindness coming out of my life, I'm like, okay, all right, you know. I'm, I'm pretty friendly. I'm, I'm, I'm generous. I, I can be pretty considerate with others. And I started to feel pretty good about myself. You know, like easy peasy. Easy, easy peasy. But then, you know, when I think about it, it's to the people that I like. But what about the people that I don't like? And you know who you are. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But, like, like, but seriously, like, what about those in our lives that are not easy? That are so hard to love. I mean, think about this. Think about Mary and Joseph. As they began to raise baby Jesus. And people that would run into Mary and Joseph. I mean, think about these people who had children who were killed because of their son. So not everyone believed in Jesus, especially when he was two or three. And Mary and Joseph are walking around. Mary and Joseph at that time were probably people that was really hard to be kind to because of their son. Now their son is dead. Think about that. Who are those people for you that it's really hard to be kind to? Who is that for you? I mean, you know who they are. In a couple of weeks, you're probably going to have to have dinner with them. And you're like, oh, and you can't wait. Maybe that's your ex. Maybe that's your boss. Heck, maybe that's even your kid. And so when it comes to kindness, when it comes to the fruit of kindness coming from the inside out of you, what we see here, this is a good reminder that kindness has the power to break down some serious walls. Kindness has power to 
when we demonstrate it to those who like. But the real power of kindness, the ultimate power of kindness, is when we're willing to unleash it on our enemies. The ultimate power of kindness is, is used when we are willing and able to unleash that onto our enemies. And I know it can be so difficult. Man. I can think about people in my life, right? It's so hard. I mean, you want to unleash something else, not kindness to them. But we see this model in Scripture. We see this model in Jesus, the concept of how important it is. And I, 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 I know that, that in my life, so many different examples that I can think of, 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 of practicing the kindness, practicing the kindness. And, 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 and you might not see the fruit for years, but man, it is worth it. Who might you need to change your reactions or responses to this Christmas season when it comes to unleashing kindness to difficult people in your life? What conversations do you see coming this Christmas that you know are going to be difficult, that you would begin praying that God would give you the fruit of the spirit of kindness and the strength to pray in advance to show that kindness, to unleash that kindness? unto them. Last thought. Remember, God's kindness is so amazing. God's kindness has been shown off to the ungrateful. God's kindness has been shown off to the ungenerous. God's kindness has been shown off to us. And it is his kindness that leads us to repentance. Romans 2 reminds us of this truth. Don't you see? I mean, don't you see how wonderfully kind and tolerant and patient God is with you? That you is you. That you is me. Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you, can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? Can't you see that? I mean, think about it. Again, going back to this thought, the ultimate power of kindness, right? The ultimate power of kindness, what? Is when we unleash it on our enemies. But think about this. Let's reverse it now with God thinking about us. The ultimate power of kindness from God is when he unleashed it on his enemies. And newsflash, before we give our lives to Christ, we're his enemies. That seems like, who are you calling an enemy? I, I, I know, I, I mean, don't take it from me. The book of Colossians reminds us because of our sin, we have become enemies with God. Romans 5.10 like reiterates this truth. For since our friendship with God was restored, thank God, by the death of his son, while we were still his enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. Because of Jesus, because of him showing his kindness towards us to bring Jesus here on this earth, to die for us, to rise again for us, we no longer have to become enemies or our enemies or stay enemies with God. We are now called his friends. We are now restored back in friendship with our creator because of his kindness to be willing to lay down his life for you. What an act of kindness, what a demonstration of generosity, thinking of us before thinking of himself. Well, I, I just have to ask you, like, 
Are you a friend of God today? Or are you an enemy of God? Are you a friend of God today? Do you know? Or are you an enemy of God? It's only because of sin you're an enemy of God. And he doesn't want you to be an enemy. He doesn't want that sin to separate you from him. He wants you to be his friend. He wants to call you his friend, his son, and his daughter. And so if you're tired of feeling like maybe you're an enemy with God and you want to become a friend of God and have his kindness just be unleashed upon you right now, then I want to give you that opportunity. And so wherever you're listening, wherever you're watching, just say in the quietness of, of wherever you're at or just say it out loud. Just say, Father, I don't want to be an enemy. I don't want to be your enemy. I want to be called your friend. And then just say, thank you for your kindness. Thank you for your faithfulness to me. Say that again. Thank you for your kindness. Thank you for your faithfulness to me. Thank you for not giving up on me. Thank you for showing such kindness that you would die for me and that you would rise again for me to pay the penalty of my sin. And just say this. Right now, I receive you, Jesus, into my life. I receive you, Jesus, into my life. As we continue to pray, my friend, if you truly meant that, you will no longer perish. You will no longer be separated from God for eternity. You are no longer his enemy. But now you are called his friend, and that is for sure. That is for certain. You can just rest with confidence in that. Father, thank you, thank you, thank you for your faithfulness to us. Thank you for your kindness that you offer to us. Help us as followers of you with the fruit of the Spirit inside of us to demonstrate and unleash kindness and faithfulness to the world around us to show you off and your power. Pray this in the power of your son's name, Jesus. Amen. If you are now a friend of God, please don't walk alone and let us celebrate with you. And so if you could just text the word Mile City to the number right there, we cannot wait to just celebrate with you that you are now a friend of God.